Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 3rd of November, 2021. I am Nick, joined by Chris, or Chris joined by me. Honestly, it's probably the better way of phrasing it. But anyway, we're both here in this electronic place to bring you black and white manga comic thingies that have well, we're not, punches. Uh, we're not bringing you them. We're not making any manga yet. No, no. No. Imagine if that was a Patreon goal. Chris and Nick make a manga. Yeah, but it's a good art school. <laughs> That's the thing. We already have their money. What can they do? It'd <laughs> be fucking scribbles. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Maybe not record this conversation. <laughs> both oh, no. So, like, my favorite part of the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie, where it opens with them doing, like, a, a parody of the Let's All Go to the Lobby song. And it just like devolves into like a bunch of angry food shouting, and they're like, "What will you do? Leave! We already have your money!" <laughs> it just does an entire song about they're like, "You're gonna hate this. But we already have your money. So what are you gonna do about it?" God, that's some energy. Yeah, we have plenty of manga to discuss today, so I think we're just gonna need to just get into it because um, I'm sure everyone is looking forward to us talking about. Well, well, you'll you'll see. So, uh, the best part is I don't actually know which series that is because there's at least two series that are very hotly anticipated this week. Few, yeah. So let's begin with My Hero Academia, chapter number two hundred. Sorry, three hundred thirty-one. United States of America. So last time, Star and Stripe tried to use her ability, which basically just lets her just assign rules to things that she touches and says the name of to try and murder Shigaraki. Yes. Well, take him prisoner. But she, with the penalty of death if he did any sort of resistance. But it didn't work because he's technically not really Shigaraki anymore. And we get one all-for-one slash Shigaraki after Star and Stripe is blown away from him. Uh, he, his hair is like Super Saiyan 3 length now, but it's also looks way better because like flowing in the wind as opposed to, you know, just stealing his eyebrows and just being super spiky. Mm. Uh, and he just starts kind of like talking to himself about there are rules that go along with Star and Stripe's powers that the public is not privy to because she is such an important and powerful hero. And he essentially figures out, OK, she can't assign rules to living things or sentient things as easily as she can assign them to just physical non-living things like the air around her. And he basically starts saying there must be some sort of rules confining her because she didn't make it that if I touched the air there, I would die. Uh, so he's it, basically all the things that people were saying about like Star and Stripe's power seems really broken is like, no, 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 no. There might be limitations on this. <laughs> you think it's broken now. Um, I, what I do like is that there's uh, two pages. Uh, and I believe, I, I think it might have been a Reddit conversation that leaked to our Discord. That uh, if you put it side by side with that one Hunter Hunter page where the characters just talk about Nin. And it's just white backgrounds with fucking text over it of an explanation to things. It really does feel identical to that where you're like. Yeah, we're really. This is two pages of just let's explain Star and Stripe's powers as hypothesized by the villain. Hold on. We'll be talking more about Hunter Hunter and its bullshit, really long explanations in a few more series. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But Shigaraki slash all for one slash who the hell ever is really excited by this because it gives him a chance to really, really push himself and test his abilities. Star and Stripe. Uh, I, I do love the two. The only like in this two page, uh, two pages of explanation, there are two interesting things to look at, which are their faces right next to each other, making interesting expressions. Shigaraki looking really excited and Star and Stripe being like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. You suck. Why aren't you dead? <laughs> Uh, so one of the stealth fighter pilots that is on, on her side says, what should we do? Uh, because we've been shooting this guy with lasers and stuff and he's fine. And Star and Stripe says, we got to get word to Commander Agbar. Uh, which might as well, she might as well be saying Admiral Akbar there. Let's be real. Like it might as well be. So, uh, <laughs> I forget who pointed this out, but if you take the first letter of every sentence Admiral, uh, Admiral Agbar says it spells out it's a trap. <laughs> I, I think it's an intentional decision by the translation team here, but it, it's yeah, it's not it's not a subtle thing. It's Akbar. It absolutely is. Yes. It's a t- Holy shit! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. That's just extending the joke. I appreciate that. All right. But Star and Stripe basically says, yeah, because all the pilots are saying, are are you sure that, like, this is a good idea? Like, is he even going to help us after you defied orders and came out here? And Star and Stripe just says, look, this is too important to get caught up on that kind of stuff. This guy is way more than just a menace to Japan. He is a threat to the entire world. And we got to use tactics that Japan lacks to make him dead now. Which uh, means more guns. Yes. Because America. (laughs) In a way, it's a gripping commentary. I mean, it's very direct. I'll just say that. (laughs) Like America. So... But then Star and Stripe suddenly gets kind of more playful after like it. There's this because what she's saying, like, we got to kill this guy. And there's a zoom in on her face and like everything. It makes her face look dark so that you can tell it's like all a super serious anger filled moment. And then she immediately like blows one of them and kisses like, hey, just give me a place so I can plant my feet until we're until we make a safe landing. OK, bros. And they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is, this is the girl who we we, we got to work with. OK. <laughs> And then, as if to fully cement, like, well, this is just our lot in life, we flash back to her being like, nice to meet you. When we all die, we die together. Because <laughs> you guys are my brothers. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> but when one of us dies, we all die. Like a horror movie. We're all linked together. We have to chain ourselves together. <laughs> no escape for any one person. When one of us dies, I don't care if he fell off a fucking ladder and just broke his back, and they decided it'd be better to just euthanize him. We're all taking the suicide pill, all right? It's just what we're doing. I am curious why exactly Star and Stripe is, uh, given all these people associated with her, with clear Star Wars references, because there's a pilot there named Wedge, there's Admiral Akbar. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I sure, her... I think that because while I was reading this, like it was definitely putting in my head of like, this is very Star Warsy, And then it turns out her name is Cassie. And I very nearly read it as Carrie, as in Carrie Fisher. Oh. 
but uh, it's not it's not that. So I don't know. It's like I don't know. When I think of Star Wars, the first thing that comes to my mind is not America, but whatever. Uh, it's just it's just Horikoshi loves Star Wars. Yes. Well, it's it's been it's a it's been a consistent theme throughout his mind. I shouldn't even Phantom, say theme. Phantom it's a menace. Yeah, it's yeah. just a constant. He references it a lot. So this was an opportunity. Hey, I'm gonna have some space pilots. Fuck it. Begs Bigs and Wedge. Uh, there's got to be an admiral. It's gonna be Akbar. And then he throws everybody for a loop. He's like, no, it's Holdo. Suck it, fanboys. Last Jedi was great. I'm referencing that one. Holdo maneuver. And all you can do is fucking sit here and let it happen again. All right. So then the chapter gets crazy. <laughs> so the pilot that Chigaraki's play, the, the plane that Chigaraki's perched on, the pilot does, does a barrel roll and shakes him off. And then... Star and Stripe uses her ability to say, the air now forms into my shape, but a thousand times bigger, and declares fist bump to the earth while a giant air golem of herself punches the air and punches the shit out of Shigaraki and sends him flying. And then she claps her hands together and squishes him with the air that is in her hands. And then... Defying the whole, she always uses one of her declarations to give herself super strength. She now does, while maintaining her air golem thing, has her pilot buddies fire their lasers and use her other rule to combine all the lasers into a giant spear, which she stabs into Shigaraki and sends him plummeting into the ocean. And he's still not dead because he's the main villain of the series. But at that moment, she gets a contact back from Agbar, who says that uh, he doesn't approve of Starstripe going off uh, on her own like this. But Star's like, whatever. Are you going to give me the help you need? And he says, a special favor just this once. Japan's been informed that the strike is imminent. The fact is... Your flagrant defiance from the rules really has made our nation shine all the brighter. Oh, <laughs> uh, there he goes. Yeah, you broke the international law, but you kicked ass doing it. America! <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, you did it cool. All right. And uh, he even says, All Might couldn't put a proper end to this villain, so prepare to surpass him. Their name is Tiamat. Make sure every last one hits the mark. And we pull it back up into space where a whole bunch of cruise missiles are shooting through the atmosphere towards Japan to kill the fuck out of Shigaraki all for one. Huh. <laughs> it's definitely an escalation of things. And I would be lying if I said... It wasn't fucking awesome to summon a giant air golem and grab a bunch of lasers to essentially Zeus Thunder uh, Shigaraki into oblivion just to hold him long enough for the nukes to show up. Um, I'm still in the space, though, of like, I'm not sure why any of this is happening. Um, I feel like we've seen probably the coolest thing that new order is going to do. So Probably. I'm not sure what the real benefit of Shigaraki getting her power would be. Um, perhaps we shall see. Uh, but um, it's interesting. I'll say that I, I did not. 
I was thoroughly manga-tained. See, this is the problem. You never use your bankai if you're a captain, because that means that you can't have it in the tank, and that yeah. means you, you can get killed off now. Except for Rukitake. He just died without ever using it. <laughs> <laughs> He's the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. Uh, um, but yeah, I'm with you in t- fully in terms of, yeah, I don't really know much about Star and Stripe as a character, but that was fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. Giant golem and laser spear. Who cares? It was fun. Yeah. So. It was all good. All right. Let's move on then, Nick, to Undead Unluck number 85, round one. We get a very cool cover page with uh, Fuko, Andy, and uh, Spring. It's very nice. So last time, Fuko dove into the treasure chest of artifacts and pulled out the top that she had the flashback of, of Spring on and says, we'll play with this top. And once we do, I'll be able to like you even more. And uh, Spring goes to punch Fuko. It's basically like, <laughs> fuck you, curses upon you. And uh, everyone's like, wait, isn't it like prohibited to attack someone during the game? And they're like, no, that's that's not how this works. Spring's even like, you will learn to love a rule utterly preposterous. Uh, but apparently that punch was not an attack. It was to set up the arena for their new game, Beyblade. Nick, your favorite series. Face off and spin the metal. No time for doubt now. No place for backing down. Yeah, let's all talk about our favorite characters from it. Um, There was a kid with a tiger thing. Like, I don't know I if mean, you had a you tiger. You officially said more about the Beyblade <laughs> series than I have ever known. So, congratulations. There's a kid who looks like Ash, but isn't Ash. And then I think there's, like, a mean kid. And there's no one who talks like Joey, but the series definitely would be improved if there was. Just one kid is like, Ed, Yoke, let's go play some tops over here. Actually, that's interesting. <laughs> that's, uh, fucking, what's his name? Uh, Hickory Dickory Doc. God damn it. What's his name? I want to call him Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's that's the playwright. Andrew Dice Clay. That's it. All came together. I got it. Nick, they're, they're doing tops. What would the equivalent of the one scene where we learned that Joey just throws as many monsters as possible into his deck and doesn't play good? Would it be as a, I made my top as heavy as possible. <laughs> I tied bricks to it. That way no one will ever knock it out of the arena. Like, but you lose when it stops, too. Oh, shit. <laughs> I should have read the full page of rules. There's only the one page. <laughs> it's just a leaflet. The backside is just advertisements. Um, so, yeah, they're they're going to have a a it's essentially a Beyblade match. It's, the rules are if something would to, uh, a top were to stop or go out of bounds or shatter, that is the loser of the game. However, it's got an extra rule. If you die in Beyblade, you die in real life. (laughs) So they're going to be playing with tops that are transformed from other negators. And if they are shattered, then they will die as well. So Spring offers a first or second choice to Fuko, and she says second. And Spring says, you dumb bitch, I'm taking on dead. Ha ha, gotcha. And of course, Fuko's like, Thank you for doing that, because now I don't have to worry about who I'm going up against. Uh, and Fuko says, I'll be picking Unbreakable. And Nick, 
fucking Ishin shows up, and I really, I really, like, even though we saw the tease to Ishin, it has come so far out of left field to be like, Ishin's an important character now. We're dealing with Ishin now that I don't know how to process it. Because even Ishin's like, I, I don't know what's happening here. What happened? <laughs> Why? Why? Uh, Ishin is not speaking. Uh, Ishin just pulls out a sign that basically says all of their thoughts. And Fuko has to explain, we're having a spinning top battle, and I would like to turn you into a top. And they say if the top breaks, the person dies, but you, you're unbreakable, so no one will die. Plus, I saw your memories. Uh, and- I, I love that there is this conversation going on, and Ishin is rapidly switching out signs to talk. And when Fuko says, yeah, if the top breaks, the person dies, they're just like, die! <laughs> yeah, I love this side of a shin that's like, oh, no, I'm not supposed to be out here! <laughs> um, and basically even says, do you know uh, about spring? And I love it because a shin is now foaming at the mouth saying, not only do I not know his face, this is terrifying. This is terror embodied. I want to leave. <laughs> Um, go home now. <laughs> and Billy comes in saying, you're wasting your time. You're talking to the negator that is the biggest coward in the organization. One that uses the excuse that their ability is too valuable to endanger to rarely take part in quests and remains a shut-in. Unbreakable can only make things like weapons and simple cages. They can't make armors for others to wear or anything of that nature. And yet they're able to make their own armor. So pick someone else. They're simply... And Fuko immediately interrupts and says, please, Mr. Shin, lend me your help. In order to learn more about Spring, I need your help. Everyone's lives counts on it as well. I beg you. And uh, Shin pulls, uh, I guess they aren't pulling down. Their their bottom jaw just opens. And uh, the person inside says, how are you able to fight? And we all get the moment of what? Samus was a woman all along. Uh, Shin is a woman. And uh, immediately, Shin's just saying, uh, up until now, I thought that you, Chikara, and Top were just like me. You were all scared, but everyone keeps getting stronger, and I want to show that I could be useful, too. You know, I've been afraid of not being able to make things right, that I haven't been make armor for everyone. I'm pathetic. And Fuko's like, no, your you're Unbreakable saved us so many times in the past. And I was like, yes, the one time I can think of <laughs> is referenced in that panel. And uh, other than that... I really can't think of too many times that Unbreakables come super in handy. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yes. Uh, and there's a note of, uh, that's not enough. The first Shin in the Edo period made armor for everyone. And at the end of the Edo period in spring of 1868, the fourth year of the blah, 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 blah. Thanks to the soldiers clad in Unbreakable armor, control of Edo Castle was taken in the bloodless siege. Muketsu. <laughs> Muketsu Kaijo. Yeah. Uh, and the note is the truth was altered by the organization, but the uh, Tonka poem uh, scried at the time has been passed down for generations. And it's this, this little poem that we get uh, showing about how uh, my unbreakable shall prove through the course of this battle that I wage the blossoms, omens of good, the warmth that spring holds within. Fuko's like, that's a nice poem. I'm sure the first Ashin loved the spring. And we see a moment of uh, Spring looking at the top and is like, fuck it, just do it now, just do it now. <laughs> uh, so they start their fight and Fuku's like, look, the reason I'm able to fight is because I have everyone I hold dear to protect. 
You could be just like the first. After all, you've been working so hard in the organization to this very day. And Shin says, I want to be like that. Not just someone who makes weapons, but someone who can protect everyone. That's the unbreakable I strive for. And immediately they start Beyblading and smacking against each other. And Top Shin has a little sign that says, On second thought, I cannot do this. <laughs> that is a great final image to close on. Uh, the top spinning while Fuko and Spring strike cool pose in the background. There's fucking lightning coming down. It's a really cool shot. Uh, I like how much of Vishin's personality we suddenly got all at once because it leaves a really strong impression. Uh, that, that This is a very undead unluck chapter. Something weird is going on and you're being given really, really, really rapid introductions to characters and they leave a strong impression immediately. So it would have been nice to see some of this stuff from Machine a little bit earlier. But hey, like I said, you got to start somewhere. This is a great start to actually making them a proper character. It's amusing like because I absolutely agree. And then I stop and I'm like, this is only chapter 85. This series hasn't even been writing 100 chapters, and it's still gotten through, like, more than half of their organization at this point. Yeah, so, and how long has this shit been around? Yeah, like, 80 chapters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you could be like those fucking losers like Phil and Nico, who we don't know anything about yet, so... Yeah, uh, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing Ashin some more, and you're absolutely right. It was a great introduction to Ashin's character and, and making you uh, like them in general. I also really appreciate that while in top form, uh, both Ishin and Andy have like all the features that despite the fact you can like only see their face, you can tell unmistakably who they are. And it feels mm -hmm. like you could do that with a lot of the cast of this series. And yeah. it draws attention to the fact that like, oh man, a lot of characters in the series are very, very different from each other. And I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Kaiju number eight chapter 48 uh so um there's another weapon another kaiju weapon that everyone has it was made from the retina of kaiju number one and um kaiju number nine gets fucked up by it because it's sharingan <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it has future sight uh, it can predict movements even before the movements are made okay and um, the Kaiju number nine gets cut up. Yay, done. Uh, it's the end of the battle. Narumi did it. Kaiju number eight did it. They've destroyed the Hanju, and all the regenerate Yoju are beginning to fade because their influence is gone. But this isn't the end of the battle, and Isao starts to warn everyone, like, hey, not yet, not yet. But Kikaru actually shouts this before he can get out and says, hey, there's still some Yoju left. We've got to transition to extermination duties, and we've got to protect everyone. So we get this moment of, like, oh, Kikaru sure has grown up, and it's a nice, cool, strong, responsible agent. And I do appreciate that we have that attention thrown on her because, yeah, without her, um, Kafka wouldn't have gotten that moment to shine. So it's not just about Narumi and and, uh, and Kafka. It is also about her uh, having made a big uh, wave in this battle. Um, also, uh, one of the uh, commanders, I believe it is Narumi's lieutenant, uh, is observing how well the battle is has actually gone overall because in their defensive perimeter, there are only two points uh, where the line was breached. The damage was minimal, despite the fact that there were two different Kaiju number nines at work during all of this. And uh, he just thinks to himself, like, is this what Director General Shinomiya envisioned, his idea of the strongest division? 
just like, hey, there's all this great danger coming towards us. Is this the defense unit that Shinomiya had in mind to protect us from all that, those threats? And uh, everything gets mopped up. And at the end of the battle, Kafka detransforms and he and Kikaru spot each other and give each other a little fist bump. It's a nice little moment. And uh, Isao calls out over the radio saying, Narumi, Bibino, and you too, Kikoru. Well done. And Kikoru like, just looks in shock over at Kafka like, oh, My dad praised me. It happened. And, uh, she, yay. He gives her a thumbs up and she starts to get blushy and emotional and tries to control herself. But afterwards, Isao says, Hey, secure the residence and make sure everyone's safe. And they salute and go off to do that. But Narumi, posing by himself, thinks something here isn't right. What the hell that thing that kaiju guy said to kaiju number eight? I'm going to kill you and take that great kaiju power for myself. The killing part I get, but what about the other thing? What was that thing's goal? Was it really just to kill number eight? Or was it to take that great kaiju power? <laughs> I think we can all agree, Narumi's not actually very smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and suddenly an alarm goes off while he's thinking about what Kaiju Number no. 9's true goal was. Everyone's like, what the hell's going on? And there's a voice that says, so I made it in time. And the corpse, or one of the corpses of Kaiju Number no. 9, speaks to Kafka and says, too bad, Kaiju Number no. 8. I wasn't able to kill you. But I'll be carrying out my other goal. I'm going to take a great kaiju power for myself. But we kind of all figured that maybe he was talking about kaiju number eight's power when he was saying that before. But no, he's found kaiju number two. And he looms up behind Isao inside the headquarters. And he looks big and dark and menacing. And he says, like, I found them a compatible user and kaiju number two. So shit gonna go down. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to 100% feel. I've, I've found myself ever since we've started this arc finding myself less sort of invested in kaiju number eight. So I'm like, this is an interesting twist. Yet at the same time, I don't much care. <laughs> like, I've, I'm not super invested at the moment. Yeah, something's going on. And I think that where this arc has shined is when it has been just like, hey, this is what, you know, Kikoru is all about. And mm -hmm. look at her doing cool things. And in the meantime, we've kind of gotten away from Kafka in order to like what makes him actually him in order to do the whole. Oh, he's scared of using his powers and hurting people, which like I understand. But that's not really a big thing with his character. It's just like a thing that can be applied to any sort of shonen character who suddenly gets super strength. And uh, Narumi sucks. Uh, so <laughs> I there's a couple of things that have been working against this whole sequence. So. All right, uh, let's talk Spy Family. Yes, it's Mission 55. Hey, Yor beat the sword assassin guy last time. She just now thinks to herself, how did my weapon end up here? Because, of course, you know, Anya threw it up to her. And she just kind of is like, eh, did someone throw it? 
Ah, it must have been the wind, you know, <laughs> picking up these heavy metal objects. I never, I, I guess the clues were there from the beginning, but I, I didn't realize until now that uh, Yor is a Skyrim NPC. And, like, a dude just got shot to death in front of her, and she's like, afterwards, she's like, must be the wind, and then carried on with their life. Uh, she goes to try and find Director McMahon and see how he's doing, but... Judging by the trail of blood leading away from somewhere, someone has gotten away from the side of the battle. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, 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 bum. Lloyd has immediately realized this was too easy. That bomb I disarmed couldn't have been the only bomb. There must be another one somewhere. And uh, Anya is running around. She's got to get back to her daycare center place because the lady attending is going to be mad if she's missing. But she comes across the assassin coordinator guy who... Uh, is of course thinking about like, God damn it, this stupid fucking was supposed to kill these people. And of course, Anya thus is able to tell that he's a bad guy. Uh, and then uh, while she runs off from him, uh, he sniffs and goes, wait a minute, do I smell explosives? And Anya realizes there's icky explosives in the clock. More bombs. Uh the coordinator guy goes off. Anya thinks to herself, what, what can I do? I've got to tell Papa about this, but I don't know where he is. And even if I tell him, then I'll blow my my ESP secret. So she's got to tell someone else about it. So she calls to a crew member after, of course, cleverly disguising herself. Mm. No one will ever recognize the six-year-old girl if she puts on sunglasses and a head sash thing. Uh, and she makes up the excuse that she saw a guy wipe a booger on the clock. <laughs> and the guy at first is going to dismiss it. And then he's like, hmm, someone was acting suspicious while we're on the lookout for bombs. I guess I better check it out. So Now, booger on the clock. That's, uh, that's the newest Dan Brown novel, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it does. Tom Hanks. Booger <laughs> on the clock. <laughs> I will find you! What now, Nick? What's the song that gets slowed down dramatically to be played during the Booger on the Clock commercial or uh, trailer? Uh, because I was thinking girls just want to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanna. They just wanna. Well, like you and McGregor slowly picks his <laughs> and reaching towards it. Wait, he yeah, he survived the last they one where he set himself on fire and died. <laughs> they want to have... And then hard cut. Boogers on the clock. Part one. <laughs> but what kind of bullshit clue is left for him to realize that there's a booger on the clock? <laughs> uh, well, this could be... We're going to start the uh, the other mcu the mystery cinematic universe and it's right. actually nicholas cage showing up from national treasure <laughs> he, he's like we just saw the world's biggest ball of yarn and inside of it there was a booger so i knew it was a clue <laughs> like he ran out of famous american so I and stole a bunch of things that might have clues on them to where the other boogers are <laughs> i ate a couple along the way but <laughs> Um, national treasures or boogers? Yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, 
the uh, information specialist guy is getting away in his little raft. He's going to, of course, blow up the ship and get away. Uh, and he's still listening, listening in on stuff on the ship to make sure that everything goes according to his plan, to make sure that the explosives actually go off, which might be why he's hanging out by, by the yacht long enough for the coordinator guy to just use his belt and rappel down the rope, tying the raft to the yacht. Um, and then he calls him Snoops, which I guess is his official name now. We'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, they immediately start bickering and are like, oh, you're going to abandon us, huh? Yeah. Well, you guys fucked up. So, yeah, abandoning you. Well, let's leave. No, I only brought enough supplies for me. So then they are going to have a fight on this raft, which um, they start to, and it's it goes about as well as you expect. <laughs> uh, a bomb gets reported on the upper deck. It is in the clock. After they take a look inside it, they're like, "Shit! What do we do? What do we do? What do we do?" Lloyd takes a look at the bomb, and he's like, "We need to get the people." Oh no, we don't have time to get to order an evacuation because there's so little time left on this thing. So he just takes a screwdriver and detaches the clock from the pole that it's sitting on. And some days you just can get rid of a bomb <laughs> because he just does the Batman thing and just starts running with it. Runs to the edge of the yacht. And he's like, I got to throw it into the sea. And fortunately, there's no kids playing. There's no little duckies. He just throws it and it goes straight into the raft where the guys are fighting and blows up basically on top of them and sends them flying through the air. And of course, it capsizes them and goes into the sea. And Laura's like, oh, that was a close one. The other crew member who came with him is like, oh, this, that thing was a priceless clock. <laughs> and then they're like, did you hit something? Eh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's one of those things of like almost like a like a Saturday morning cartoon, which I guess my family is trying to emulate. Um, the idea of like these guys are hurt, they are still alive, but then having to address it afterwards and being like, "Yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I hope they're dead after all." Here's some sharks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anya has a moment where she goes, "All right, the bomb was stopped." Thanks to me. <laughs> I'm the hero. I saved the day. Which is not wrong. <laughs> to a certain extent, uh, if she hadn't talked about that booger on the clock. Yeah. She's a genius, it turns out. The daycare lady finds her and uh, says, why'd you run off like that? And she's like, I needed to poo real bad. Uh, and she starts dragging her off. And she says, but that might not have been the last bomb. To which the teacher says, oh, you need to go boom, boom again. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Such a god. Sharks circle around the two assassins. Everyone regroups uh, between Yor and Mr. McMahon and uh, their uh, their target helpers, uh, protect, their protection targets. And Mr. McMahon gets a, a raft ready for them to launch off uh, so that they get to safety. Yor wishes them luck and to have a good life after this. Uh, and she gets a, a big old hug. Uh, for th yes, thanks for all the uh, you know protection she's given them and stuff. And then uh, the mother says, "Graham wants a goodbye hug too." And uh, you are like, "I am literally covered in blood. <laughs> I don't know if you want to do that." 
But you, she just says in response, those hands of yours are the reason that this child has a future. And she holds him up so that he can lean in and give her a hug. And your hugs him back. And it's very, very cute. Uh, and um, then she says to your, I know that this might not be possible for you. And maybe I should just butt out. But I want you to know that I'll be praying for you and your family to find peace and happiness. Uh, their job is done. And Mr. Man's like, all right, yep, we'll, we'll wait for the retrieval team. Uh, but we've got to, you know, keep an eye out. He notices that Yor is looking wistful, I guess is the word for it. And he just says, hey, stop getting sentimental. Remember who you are. We're foot soldiers. And that's it. Uh, but then he pauses and says, oh, and I forgot to relay a message to you. The forgers are requesting that you meet them at tomorrow's port of call. Uh and yours is like, oh, but the you know, mission, but and McMahon just says, I'll watch out for any other killers. Go do and what do what they say. Consider it a reward for completing your mission. And uh, clean yourself up so they don't notice that you've been in a fight with literally 50 assassins. <laughs> Lloyd uh, goes to the kids room to pick up Anya. She's passed out asleep after the big busy day that she's had. Uh, and Lloyd says, oh, well, I had a crisis to resolve but I still end up abandoning my family. And he's like, oh, no, wait, that's that's my thing. I'm supposed to do that. Or am I? The family's part of the mission. I don't know what to do. So, oh, that Lloyd, he still hasn't figured it out. Yeah, he's, a, he's a little dense. For all, all the good traits he has, he's, he has some dumb ones. That's right. He is a very clever man, but he just doesn't understand this whole emotional intelligence thing. This is a nice little chapter, a nice resolution uh, to all of the big uh, plot elements going on. Maybe we'll see a bit of wrap up next time. I think we do tend to get that in some of the longer arcs from Spy Family. Um, but this it was nice to see everything got to come together in the end. Yeah. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention that it was just announced that Spy Family is getting an anime. So look forward to that. And um, I think it's going to be a, a very sweet anime. I think we're going to see a lot of people really dig it. Uh, although I said that about the Promised Neverland, and then things went drastically the wrong way, so who knows? Well, at the time we heard that there was going to be an anime for the Promised Neverland, uh, we still had hopes. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a good chapter, though, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that anime come out, and a lot, of, lot more people getting into it. Absolutely. Now, there is some troubling news, though, we, we do have to get to. What's that? Uh, we had to talk about the fact that there we were supposed to get two chapters of World Trigger this month. Uh, instead, we did not get those. Unfortunately, we just got released a design uh, pitch, essentially, for an XCOM game, I think, of World Trigger. Uh, it's not an actual, like, physical chat, like, regular chapter. Uh, it's just details about how a video game would work. Yeah, and, it's it's uh, really interesting the way that it's, like, discussed as if, like, the characters in the series are going to play it. But, you know... <laughs> No Shonen Jump manga would ever do something so overly complex. Certainly. Give action and interesting elements. Certainly. No manga that already has uh, issues coming out and uh, having pacing uh, difficulties would spend a month's worth of chapters explaining how you can fucking maneuver your character on a plane to toggle their frame of vision. 
Also, this is done in a hex map, which is bullshit because everyone. <laughs> if you want to know that you're in a fucking nerdy ass game, are there hexes on the map? Yes, it's a nerdy game. Yeah, I don't care if it makes more sense than squares. It's a nerdy game. It's. I'd like to argue with you, but I have yet to play a game that uses hexes that isn't monumentally nerdier than everything else I've played. <laughs> like Gloomhaven uses hexes. Great game. But man, it is a much nerdier game than a lot of other stuff. Uh, this way is much more efficient. I know, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell it to me later. Tell it to me walking, nerd. And then you punt their stuff out your window. So, the, oh, ah, chapter 214, the away mission test, part 12. They go over in painstaking, excruciating detail how these battle games work. Half this chapter is, this is how you move. You have uh, half the chapter. This entire chapter is- In both chapters. Both chapters are pretty much just explaining the rules of how this thing works. Look at this arc of vision, and you can assign points for this. And when, you're a po and when you meet eyes like in Pokemon, you have to battle. And that takes action tokens, and you have only so many action tokens, so you have more action tokens, and you have an advantage. But if you are moving, and you meet someone in the middle of your movement, you have to battle, and then you continue moving. Ah, and, and depending on what weapons you have, you might have different action points allotments. And each different character has a special quirk to them that allows them to handle different triggers more efficiently than others. And uh, you have one field division and a backfield division, a subfield rather. He's like, I can't. I, I I get it. I just just tell me who wins. Just tell. I get that it's actually supposed to be a cool thing because Osamu actually feels like he's going to be useful in this because he gets it. But I just just tell me he did well. I don't. If the point of this chapter was to get us to relate to Katori, then congratulations, <laughs> you've done it. Because she's just like, this whole thing is bullshit. I hate this stupid game. <laughs> and she keeps on going, it's like, if this were a real thing, I would have pounced onto Mikumo's ass and killed him by now. It's like, yeah, but you don't happen to, but see your movement is like, no, I'm faster than him. This is bullshit. <laughs> this is a... And she just says, like, this is a really badly designed game. And everyone has to point out, like, this isn't meant to be a game. It's meant to be a test. It's just like, Grr. so, I mean, it's kind of like it works in the sense that you totally fully understand why Katori hates this. And also that means that the test is doing its job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would say the easiest way I can explain it is this is perhaps just not the way I meant to learn things. It's like when somebody's like, hey, you want to try this new game? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, here, here's the rule book for it. I'm just like, ah, ah, <laughs> just, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> oh, so uh, we get Osama establishing after they play a practice round that he thinks that he could actually be useful in this kind of combat, despite the fact that his unit is not going to have very great stats because there's going to be more of a focus on positioning and strategy than usual. And so if, despite the fact that he will have those inferior stats, like he was discussing before, before with the, with Mila. Yeah, he's going to be okay. So, uh, also Yuma thinks that he's going to be good at this game. So, hmm. um, 
We also see Ninomiya's squad planning stuff, which, of course, is the squad that Chica is in. And Ninomiya is like, this game is too boring for me to give you orders, so you guys just do what you want. <laughs> yeah, just whatever. <laughs> then they go over the backup units, which we saw uh, you know, the very briefly at the end of the, of, uh, the last uh, set of chapters. And they bring up, uh, well, we should use an attacker because, you know, we got a lot of snipers in our squad. So how about we use Tachikawa? And Ninomiya's going to be like, no, not Tachikawa. My squad has no need of him. <laughs> uh, so meanwhile, Tachikawa is watching this and he's like, eh, Ninomiya loses points. <laughs> I, I, do, I do love Tachikawa being like, well, loses points. Like, yeah, I mean, you got to kind of expect that. Uh, they start to look up uh, stuff while they're in Wakamura squad, which Hughes belongs to. And while Hughes is like, what's this say? They realize that the computer he's using has text-to-voice chat capabilities. And they're like, oh, why couldn't we just have been using this the entire time? <laughs> um, so that's established. We cut back over to Sua Squad again. Hey, Katori's frustrated and she thinks that this game is bullshit and the way that it, the way that everything kind of is ordered in terms of movement and attacking. And they're like, yeah, we're going to have to do a lot of, learn a lot of rules and learn them on the fly. It's going to be kind of frustrating and we're just going to have to learn. Also, um, the point, they're going to basically have to play every other team every day and the last day is worth more points than the first day. It gets more, more and more and more to win. So they're like, I guess that what they're testing, they're basically rewarding us for doing better as we learn the system more. So it's okay if we lose the first few matchups because it's not worth as many points as later on down the week. So it's also a learning exercise on top of everything else. Then we cut to Mizukami Squad, which has no characters that we care about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Um, and, uh, basically they're all going like, Hey, we're doing really good in the universal assignments. And Mizukami's like, everyone shut the fuck up. I'm not. Uh, and, uh, he's trying to focus on this. Uh, and then they have to jump into their first matchup, which appears to be, uh, Sui squad versus Mizukami squad. So I guess that's the actual reason we jumped over to Mizukami squad was to establish them as the first well, opponents. Is he the one who didn't give the rest of his group details about this? Yes. So part of me is wondering if he's just going to do the battles himself. And that's that's what he's establishing. Like, oh, you guys. Oh, that's why the headsets are sitting there. Yeah. Like, I think that's the implication is he's just going to do it himself. So he's basically going off and saying he's going to study and do tough stuff by himself when really he's playing video games. That's yeah. the that's the most te real world teenager thing I can think of. So congratulations, <laughs> World Trigger. Oh yeah, I'm going to do homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um I don't know what to say about these chapters there. There's like two or three character bits in it. And then otherwise is explaining the rules to this game. And I swear to God, if like a fucking alien shows up and ends this, I'm just I, like, it's going to be like fucking learning the rules of the fucking New York city, New Pork city auction all over again. When I'm just like, God damn it. What was the point? <laughs> Why did I sit there? Why did I spend so much time learning these fucking rules? 
I'm torn because I want to get these simulation battles out of the way as soon as possible, unless yeah. they turn out to be way more interesting than predicted. But at the same time, yeah, we've spent so much time explaining them. So if we don't have any sort of payoff, then what's the point? Uh, All right. I did Nick. kind of finally reach a breaking point with World Trigger's weird pacing this entire year, this month, though. So uh. it'll be great when we get to the point of. Uh, at the end of the year, or at the start of next year, being like, Nick, where was World Trigger at the start of last year? Like, I don't know, in the fucking second round of the draft, I think? Like, it's <laughs> it's not actually that long ago. Yeah. Uh, All right. Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero. Let's do that. <laughs> Eden Zero, Chapter 166, I Love You, which is a promising chapter title. Certainly is going to relate to something weird by the end of it. That's for certain. Well, it relates to one weird thing and one thing that it should have been the only thing that it refers to, honestly. (laughs) So So, last time, Ziggy halted the entire Eden Zero ship. Uh, It's basically leave them stuck as this sector is destroyed by the explosion. Uh, And Sister, or not Sister, Witch is like, don't worry, everybody. I will protect the ship. And she teleports away. But before we could do that, we cut over to Nero 66, where Shura is Lane defeated against the table and Juno's butt shows up and says, here you are, Shura. Uh, yep. And she walks up and she, uh, immediately Shura's like, what? You didn't escape with everybody else? Planet's going to blow up. And she gives like a cold, steely gaze. He's like, oh, of course. You came so you could kill me yourself. I figured it out ages ago. I know why I took a liking to you and why you were so attached to me. It was your ether gear. And she says, I don't know when I obtained the ether gear. I must have gained the power to defend myself, which is a weird implication. And then her butt says, but it never worked on you. Apparently my powers don't work on targets who have never known love. What I mean is my love for you was one sided. And sure is like, no, but I, and she grabs him tenderly across the cheek. and says, I know. And embraces him and says, the spark of love has kindled inside of you. It's kindled for me, too. The false love I had for you eventually turned real. And Shura starts crying, saying, no, I'm a monster. And Ejuna says, I have some screws loose just like you do. I'm crazy, too. You killed my family, my friends. You put me through a nightmare. Didn't mention the bomb up the button this scene, but I'm garbage enough to truly love you. And Shura cries, saying to Juna, and she says, there is someone who loves you and someone you love in return. Those aren't the tears of a monster. They come from a human heart. And then the planet explodes and hopefully they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we'll circle back to this part. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll carry on here. So we cut back over to the Eden Zero. The blast is coming for them. Witch is staying atop the ship. And she's like, in the name of the Demon King's four shining stars, I, the Shield of Edens, will bow to protect this ship. And she shields it. And everyone's like, no, what are you doing? You're going to die. Uh, She's using the shield against such a powerful blast. The toll will be so heavy. Couchpo says, oh, my poor witch. Uh, And it's really bad. 
it looks like things are going rough. And Witch sees, you know, starts thinking, oh, Demon Lord. And we get a flashback to when Baby Shiki was on board. And uh, Ziggy said, you look so dignified with the baby in his arms. Like you're his mother. And Witch says, his, uh, his mother, my lord? And it's like, oh, yeah. So Hermit's like, I guess that makes me the big sister. And sister's like, what am I? The mistress? And we don't find out what Valkyrie thinks of herself because she's dead and she's worthless to this character plot line right now. Then Hermit adds, Ziggy, we should make an add-on for Witch so she can produce breast milk. And Ziggy says, that's a brilliant idea. And Is this the canonical explanation for why Witch's boobs were squishable by Shura? Perhaps. Perhaps. Ah, uh, what, what amazing world building. <laughs> uh, and little baby Shiki's laughing. And they're all like, oh, yeah, I'm going to teach him swords when he gets older. He's so powerful. And, and Witch is like, not to worry. No matter what happens, I will always protect you. So we cut back to the present where Witch is definitely about to die. And she's like, I promised that I would protect you. And I'm sorry, but I don't think I've keep that much longer. And, uh, Shiki's crying. He's like, no, you're not allowed to die. You have to live. That's an order. And she says, that is the first and last time I ever disobey an order. I am so happy to be with all of you and the paths you take. If you work together, friendship speech. I'm dying now. Kaboom! And she dies. Yeah. After she says, I love you in a big old two-page spread while she's like crying and smiling at the same time. And then she uh, seemingly disintegrates. Yes. So let's talk about this in two waves, I think. Okay. Let's start from the end. So this is obviously the single thing I can remember which like ever having done. Yes. Which is very unfortunate because this is the last thing presumably she's ever going to do. Again, it's kind of hard to accept that there are ever permanent consequences in Ian Zero because we have a character who can jump between timelines willy nilly and avoid the worst timeline. Uh, now, if the consequences of this moment have to be accepted then okay. I think that there are parts of this that don't work. But, hey, if you have this character legit make this heroic sacrifice to save everyone that she cares about and you stick with it, okay. I still think that there are ways it could have improved upon, mostly by, you know, having which be a more important character to this point. Like, you know, yeah. have her do things that match her station. Now, but. Nick, I, I feel like you're forgetting when she uh, did bathtub bondage training with lucy or rebecca to help her train see, her powers <laughs> i was going to say that it was the only thing i could remember her doing but the, i legitimately was like was that her or was that sister i can't remember <laughs> because the 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 three of them sister witch and hermit have all been used sexually in different ways and the only reason i can distinguish hermit sexual things from them is because she's like the lowly kind of yeah. one and she's, they're the she's ones the wendy the right so that's the only way that i can distinguish between which bits of fan service they're responsible for also that sister does the bdsm stuff so uh anyway I think that if Witch had been a character that actually, like, you know, did things, then this would hit harder. That said, if Hero is actually capable of having a character make a heroic sacrifice and it's sticking, 
then okay, credit there. Because he always does this thing where it's like, I'm so proud of you. Oh, I got saved. And no one dies, no consequences. If he is legitimately trying to, like, I want to do a, a somewhat darker story and have people die and have consequences, cool. Now, for the other thing. <laughs> you got the easy part out of the way. The Now, the stuff with which makes me kind of have some sense of conflict in the do I want this to just get erased from existence kind of thing by Rebecca's very convenient reality-altering time-jumping powers. Uh, because I think that there are some interesting things going to be done if you have the team having to pick themselves up again after losing one of their own and it hitting a bit differently because, you know, Valkyrie was someone who died in the past. This is someone we actually saw die in front of us. Unfortunately, which doesn't really have a bond that is nearly as powerful as the one that Homura and Valkyrie had, despite the fact that they established, oh, she's the mom. She's the mom. She's the mom. She's the mom. She's gonna yeah. Die. Keep on saying she's the mom. She's it, the mom. It's so you can also retroactively turn all of her fetish stuff into milf fetish stuff as well. Shh, shh. No, 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 no. Don't stop. That was implicit already. Come on. So, <laughs> <laughs> but if there is going to be one thing that makes me go, oh, man, I hope that Rebecca uses her time jumping powers so that we avoid this timeline. It is the one where it turns out that. Actually, the guy who tortured this woman and stuffed a bomb of her butt and sexually humiliated her, she actually did fall in love with him. And literally would rather die by this man's side than escape and get on with her life while he dies like an asshole. And it turns out, no, he had a heart, too, despite the fact he wanted to literally commit genocide. Mm -hmm. So this is bad. And it literally reads to me as the bad ending in the video game that it tells you you made the wrong choice go back and do another one <laughs> yeah. uh look I, I i read this chapter on monday and immediately started talking about it in our discord uh which you go should check out everybody it's a good place um yes and my thoughts are pretty clear this is super gross this is really really bad i hate this i hate this I hate this. Um, there are multiple reasons why I really, really dislike so much of this chapter. Um, one is just of obviously the very unfortunate implication of trying to create a troubled romance between Ajuna and Shura, which I understand that sometimes that's like just a trope, you know, Joker and Harley. And I know there's more examples than just that, but it's the one that immediately comes to mind, you know, problematic relationships um, that can be glossed over. Now, both of these characters are dead here. Now, as you said, this series can go anywhere, any place, anytime, really. So maybe these characters show up again in a different way. But as it is right here, these two characters, these two individuals are dying. So this is the last image we're left on. There's mm -hmm. nothing about this that really paints the problematic aspect as mm -hmm. a gross thing or a bad thing. In fact, it's painted with the same kind of romantic almost lens of sister, uh, sister or witch rather sacrificing herself. That this is Absolutely. a good yeah. thing that's happening. That these two crazy kids have found each other. And maybe, just maybe, Nick, if things had worked out differently, maybe they could have been a real couple. Because at the end of the day, 
Despite the fact that Shura, in pretty much every scene he was ever in, was him murdering people, usually women, almost exclusively women for the most part, or killing all robots, or talking about torturing people, or killing Psyka, one of his members of his group, or talking about murdering his parents, uh, or any of the constant things he's ever done, gets a happy-esque ending where he is given the comfort of, you're not a monster, you have a human heart, you just never knew love. And it's like, no, no part of this works. No part of this is enjoyable. No part of this is nice. Uh, And then it is paired alongside with a direct kind of comparison. It's the chapter's called I Love You, and these are the two things in it. You are meant to connect this happening with Witch's Death, which is a character who, in this arc, was kidnapped, sexually abused, rescued, and then died. And it's a gross way to end that character as well. Even though she gets her sweet little heroic sacrifice moment and, oh, I was the mom of the crew, it's a sad moment when you recognize, oh, that's what happened. And the person who did that to her got called a human in his last moments. It's a really, really gross implication that kind of falls alongside that. Yeah, the fact that he is for some reason absolved in this moment because there was a person who cared about him. I don't... There are problems with Ijuna choosing to go and be with Shura, even if it means her own death, if she can be with him in and of itself. But yeah, like you were saying, the fact that it is in no way portrayed as a bad thing that has happened is the real problem. Like, this was apparently just as heart-moving a moment as... Which, whom we've always seen, yeah, there it's not been perfect, but she has always actually like gotten along and been cared and cared for and been cared for by all the people she's sacrificing herself for, and it's been portrayed as a positive relationship. But we have heard in great detail all the things that happened between Shura and Ijuna, and her being okay with them was directly called messed up by the series and a bad thing that she needed to be rescued from or needed to wake up from. And she didn't. And now that's a good thing. It's inconsistent and problematic. And I have an issue just like, cause after people mentioned it, now I have to start reanalyzing Eden zero through a different lens. When people are like, this is hero's attempt to tell a darker story. And it's like, I call bullshit every time I hear that because this is not a darker story. If this was a darker story, Ajuna would have showed up and have sacrificed her chance to live just so she could have fucking seen the light go out in his eyes or something. She would have gone there. Or if you were going to do this, you paint her face visually in such a distorted light to be like, oh, she's broken. She's beyond yeah. like she, he, she was fucking damaged be, like far beyond it. And this is a sad thing that she is not able to recover enough. She wasn't able to be saved by Laguna. This is a bad thing. As opposed to this thing, which is like, no, you still have a human heart. Sure. Like, fuck off. All right. It's also, he gets gets told that he's a good boy now because he did. Um, you weren't loved as a child. Yeah. Fuck off. It's bad. It's bad. It's, it's it is really the bad. worst thing that's happened in Eden Zero, <laughs> and it's and it and there wasn't even anything sexual about it. <laughs> yeah, turns out Hero's just a hack on top of writing fetish Ugh. material constantly. All right, 
It's okay. We're going to turn things around now. <laughs> I forgot this. Is, we're fucking back to back in this shit. The <laughs> Hunter's Guild, Red Hood, number 17, Holograms. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that the name? <laughs> Holograms. <laughs> uh, so Cinderella basically just reiterates what the issues that are at stake here, which is the mayor wants to destroy the entire goddamn world. And so she actually takes her hat off and bows deeply to Debonair and to Grimm saying, look, I'm so on my pride here to ask you, please stop him. You you guys can do it because you have access to where the book is kept. The red list doesn't know where that is. And look, if you want to kill me, do it. I know that I deserve to die at this point. But if it'll get you to just save the world, go and stop him. And Debonair says, lift your head. And she grabs Cinderella's head between her hands and forcefully kisses her on the lips. <laughs> and... Cinderella, of course, is shocked by this. And we cut over to Grimm for one brief moment just for her to say, why? <laughs> Which I why? feel like was, was my reaction to. <laughs> I screenshot that because I was like, this this gift's gonna or this image is gonna come in handy as a reaction. Oh, yeah. This will this will far outlive Hunter's Guild <laughs> Red Hood. Why? We'll, we'll keep you going, little Grimm. <laughs> so Cinderella is immediately grossed out by this and starts going, bah, 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 bah. and Debonair also goes, bah. but she says, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm not letting you go of my grudge either. So I did something I knew you'd absolutely hate. Um, judging by the way that our Discord server has reacted to Debonair Diamond, I feel like you were really rolling the dice on her hating that. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially she's like, no, I'm going to kill you because that's not, that's not suitable punishment for you. All right. Don't know Damn. why you kissed her, but okay. <laughs> so. It's, but so, it's so people could write fan fiction off that moment where imagine Nick. You're creating a new genre of fan fiction. It's probably already a genre, but it's our world is literally fucking exploding at the seams. I have nothing else to do but just wantonly express emotional intimacy with someone next to me. There have got to be genres of fan fiction written by that. Like fucking Misty just looks over and she's like, Erica, I know we've never spoken before, but missing no is blotting out the sky and destroying all reality around us. <laughs> Erica, I was like, is he talking about Pokemon? He is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what fucking just give me the lips, sister. Erica criminally underutilized gym leader. She was, I loved her. I loved her aesthetic. Anyway, so, okay. um, so Debonair says that they're going to HQ and says that Cinderella has got to help them to which Cinderella goes, no, do it. Die. So, okay. I think that I understand why she was grossed out. It's because they're like, all these people are children. So they think <laughs> that any form of intimacy is gross. So. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that Big Joe Bonkers and Tilty and Milty and Billy, Melio and, and, and uh, Portion, all of them are listening at the door. Um, and uh, so immediately they're like, well, we should go to HQ and help. Uh, and Big Joe says, 
Fellow, save me for my own darkness, even though I didn't ask. Now it's my turn to meddle in his life. And Tilty says, I've always been hesitant to trust others, but yeah, me too. So, <laughs> and the business guy is also like, I'll help too. And everyone's like, I don't He's got to have other reasons he's doing this. It's like, oh, I mean, in the words of Megavolt, if he destroys the world, there will be nothing left to rob. He has a reason to save the world too, guys. <laughs> so, Velo, meanwhile, is talking with the elite Red Hood. And it's, he's really upset with the bedtime story now, even though he's still in the bed. Uh, and he says, how can you do such a thing of, you know, them writing reality and writing, you know, war, warding tales and, and stuff and fairy tales with monsters and everything. And the elite Red Hood says, for the sake of the world. Stop saying that. Ex answer the question. <laughs> so Velo brings up very directly, why don't you just write humanity eradicated the werewolves? That would solve everything. And phone answer guy says, oh, we tried that multiple times, but we failed every time. A parasitic outbreak, cataclysmic disasters, an all-powerful magical spell, nuclear warfare, seven attempts were made. And One time I spelled werewolves as bear wolves. Oh, the problems caused that day. I mean, it, was, it was amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wolf wang everywhere. The, the screams will live in my nightmares for all eternity. <laughs> but the moans will live on in my dreams for the rest of my days. Mm, bear wolves. Anyway, each one not in just in, in not just in failure, but in the eradication of the human race. See, every human carries the potential to become a werewolf in their genes. No, not those genes. Like genes in your, your, your DNA. Those genes. And then one time I wrote that as beans. And everyone had to wear beans everywhere. Oh, boy. I should really learn to spell and write. <laughs> Very slimy. Oh, man. If only I had passed... Well, I passed that typing test my parents gave me as a kid. Mario, uh, he just uh, just didn't like the way that he was t t telling me to do stuff. I don't like Italians. <laughs> it's always been my problem. I've always, I hate their seasoning. I hate their meatball. I hate their plumbers. So one time I spelled Italians as Fatalians. <laughs> that was on purpose. <laughs> one time I changed the world. It just became hard-boiled cop and dolphins. And that one was a failure. I had to start that one all over again. So then I wrote the last Sayuki. And that didn't work out either. <laughs> that one I thought should have kept going, but apparently did not. Uh, anyway, so because we're werewolves, all humans can potentially become werewolves. Werewolves are very difficult to get, to get rid of. We're two sides of the same coin. So if you just eliminate werewolves, you eliminate humanity. And as long as humanity exists, werewolves can't disappear. That's the way the story has been set. Each time we fail, a new humanity is deployed, and they begin a new battle against monsters. And Villa's like, wait, you make it sound like there's some sort of god involved. Who would create a world like... <gasps> and the elite Red Hood says, exactly. The readers. <laughs> That's right, you. You're doing this. You're the problem. <laughs> they exist far above us. Or perhaps far below us. Or far to the sides. Look, I want to tell you something. 
Red Hood and everyone in it. When people say that God exists far above us, yes, heaven supposedly exists in the sky. But if you go up, you don't just reach heaven. It doesn't matter what direction it's in. Why do you have to? Maybe that's to the you just brought up that the people reading the manga are the gods of this world. <laughs> you want to focus on that? Maybe they're in the northeast. <laughs> Maybe they're they're inside of us. <laughs> in a way, they're close. They're kind of like directly parallel to us, but on the other like, side. Like watching fish in a fishbowl. <laughs> okay. But if you were anyway, looking at it from the bottom, wouldn't there be a table in the way? Man, that's right. Can't catch us there, then, can ya? Um, Cinderella and Debonair are flying towards the secret headquarters. Cinderella is carrying Grimm, who is sleeping, and she's like, why are we bringing Grimm? And Debonair says, because she'll be helpful. Duh. Duh. So obvious. And Cinderella says, are you serious? Her character setup has been so eroded, she's a husk of her old self. How do you measure that? <laughs> it's so amusing because I understand it's all just narrative at this point, but it's so hard not to have it just be like, yeah, that is, I guess, what her character is. But to be frank, her character arc before this was has a giant rack. So I don't know. I guess technically hey, it's been eroded. Hey, hey, hey. She had a butt, too. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> to be fair. Uh, Debonair is like, there's no doors to the Scrivener's room. The only way in or out is by warping. And the West Side Island doesn't have any underground chambers. It'll be in the pain in the butt, but we'll make ourselves a door there. So she unleashes a bunch of heat and then says, Cinderella, use your magic to focus my heat. And Cinderella says, I can't. The heat's too intense. And Debonair says, just do it. So she does. <laughs> and they make a laser from Debonair's heat. And it blows a hole in the headquarters and it starts to, like, collapse. And then we cut back to the Elite Red Hood, who says, The Readers! That's the name we give to the ones who created the framework of this world and filled in the book's earliest pages. That's not what readers do. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if it's now or later. But we do have to also address this meta commentary of the readers are the gods who only want action and violence in this world. It's like, nah, dog, uh, that's editorial that decides if your series needs to be more exciting. You could have been a fucking blue box. Doesn't have people getting fucking massacred oh. and towns getting fucking eviscerated. And that's one of my favorite series in this magazine. You know? Yeah. To kind of jump ahead a little bit, yes, the point that Red Hood is making is bizarrely meta-commentary on its own sudden conclusion. As in, the mayor is trying to suddenly stop the story the same way that Red Hood is suddenly stopping because it's getting canceled. And the, the idea here is that, oh, well, see, the reason we can't solve everything is because that wouldn't be entertaining to the readers. It's not fun if everything is resolved so easily. We've got to have these violent conflicts go on forever. And I'm like, and I don't know, dog. Dr. Stone fucking invented, like, solar panels last week. I think you can just do whatever you want. Are you aware 
of how many fanfics involve, and then everything was solved, and my most attractive fate preferred characters had sex with each other. And you have so many of those in your story. <laughs> yeah, Big Joe Bonkers has an entire universe of people he could be banging right now. The Big Joe uh, Bonkers Bangiverse. That's like they call it. Anyway, you're just a puppy is the story that is going on with the Elite Red Hood. And then for some reason, Velo doesn't get the idea that the world is a stage and our battles against monsters are entertainment. He's confused by this. So the Elite Red Hood says, let me explain things in simpler t- terms. Using a more complex <laughs> metaphor for what's going on. See, oh, did your Hamlet have festivals honoring the gods, like ritual dances or plays or prayers that you offered up to them? And Vel's like, well, yeah, we had songs dedicated to the gods for, like, the summer solstice. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're performing a ritual to appease higher beings. Okay, but the first example was so much easier to understand. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think happens if the ritual performed for the gods isn't good enough? The purpose of the book is to entertain the readers. It isn't fun if the story's resolved too easily. If you displease the gods, they render judgment on us by not ranking us high in the reader response polls and not buying our volumes. It's and your fault, Sakamoto days. If you weren't so fucking engaging, I could have survived. Uh, so we have to have like engaging stories, which means bad shit happening to people and conflict and all that stuff. And we were going to have a lycanthrope virus. It was going to be really cool. And it would have be a roundabout way of solving everything. But we figured it would actually work. And you, Mayor Ludwig, you want to mess everything up. It's your fault we're getting canceled. Just like it's Barry Corbin's fault that Raw's ratings are in the toilet. So uh, the mayor is like, the moment we ever took up this book is the moment we failed. What point is there to a world whose sole purpose is to create tragedies that live up to the expectations of merciless gods? Let's just end it. Not a happy ending, not a tragic ending, just an end to everything. The end. It's the end of the chapter. We're done. <laughs> it's gone. Uh, no, it's technically a little bit more. Debonair is invading, so the mayor is like, I'm going to use my reality altering powers to put us in another place. Here's a cube. Don't get in our way. I'm going to go fight Debonair with my reality altering powers now. Boop. How much longer can this series possibly last? Run chapter 17. Uh, well, next chapter, <laughs> to give you the answer. Next chapter is when it ends. How? Like, uh, I is it literally s- just going to be like, boop? Yeah, they're going to bonk the mayor on the back of the head and be like, but what if some stories are good? And uh, then it ends. <laughs> God. Um, so I guess the mayor's going to get his wish then. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Not a happy ending, not a tragic ending, just an end. Well, no, yeah. these, these characters are going to keep on going because the, the end is going to, I imagine, promise the idea that we're going to have some more adventures for Big Joe Bonkers in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Only him. I don't know about the rest of the characters, but Big Joe Bonkers has a future. <laughs> The embroiling adventures of Big Joe Bonkers. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, the series is ending and it's a fucking colossal train wreck of an ending and I'm loving every second of it. It's so hard <sighs> not to just enjoy this. Like, I try not to be cynical and mean about it because this is someone's art that is being ended and that there there is like an unfortunate level to that. But it, there's also just this level of like, we read this as like 
a pastime for over a decade now so we've seen a lot of these series end, and it's always kind of exciting mm. when they don't go out with a whimper but instead they go screaming off and they're like fuck you it's your fault it's yours <laughs> like i really just wanted the last page of this series to be like the paint like the panels fraying and it's velo just looking at the camera being like you you're the reason this is happening you it's gonna be like dr strange in that one what if <laughs> yeah Except, you know, angry instead of sad. But anyway, so um, let's move on to Magusha and God of Destruction. It's chapter 65, the mysterious successor. Uh, to jump ahead, we are introducing this chapter to Izuma's little sister, uh, Seira Kisaraki, who is also part of the Order of Holy Knights. We get some stuff leading up to that because she is in disguise at the school and she's there to find out why her brother is being weird and not fighting chaos gods. And apparently the Holy Knights don't believe the reports that Daenerys is sending back. Okay. So, uh, but we first see this, she's in disguise. She's just this girl who has like twin tails, but it's black hair. So it doesn't look too unusual. She's also got the wrong school uniform on, but she's in, she's in, she's, uh, uh, in, doing centrifuge, she's in disguise. No one, no one will be able to tell she's not completely normal. Ruse me, like, eh, she looks like she's wearing the wrong kind of uniform to go to our school. Oh well. Uh, and uh, she expresses, in, Sarah expresses interest in the occult club. So Ruse like, oh good, I could recruit a new member. Awesome. Uh, and Sarah says. By the way, what kind of stuff do you do at the occult research club? And Rumi is like, it's basically like a petting zoo with chaos gods now. Uh, yeah, we flip with weird creatures, I guess. But, you know, it's a really chill club. It's it's a nice place to hang out. You can call me Ruru. What's your name? <gasps> Sarah's vanished because she recognized Ruru Miyanagi's name. Da, da, da. Uh, then we get to my favorite moment of the chapter, which is Magu playing against Izuma and Othello, and somehow, and somehow Izuma has one white tile on the entire board, and Magu has filled up everything else in black. So he's saying, "I have plunged all the world in darkness, except your defeats." So Izuma says, "No matter the situation, I will fight to the end. I will not give up when I still have a chance." So he captures one tile, and Magu. Really captures two back and takes the entire board. <laughs> uh, um, we get some establishment that uh, Komi has been making more posters for the club, and she says, "I figured I would stop hiding my hobby uh, since you know we're kind of we're going to be graduating, and you know, like all the memories we're, we've been building up here are going to be lost. So, you know, I figured it would be good if we had someone take over the club for us. Isn't that nice?" Uh, and, um. They also kind of established that, like, hey, it seems kind of it's interesting how, like, you know, a few characters are a bit different. Yzma is, you know, really part of the gang when he was just trying to fight everyone before. Now we just beat him at child's games. So that's cool. Um, then uh, Ruru brings up, oh, I met this girl who's kind of interested in our club. You know, she kind of reminded me of Yzma. And immediately Sarah's like, ah, I've been exposed. It comes out of her hiding spot and lands superhero style on the table and sends the board scattering everywhere. I can't believe you figured out my identity so quickly. And just immediately reveals herself, you know. She does the magical girl transformation into her true form, uh, which basically means she puts on a robe and her hair is mostly light colored with some black bits at the tips. Uh, and she establishes like, you guys aren't doing your jobs. 
but immediately everyone's like, oh, check out this cute little kohai we have to, you know, give like pudding to and stuff. And Sarah's trying to be like, don't distract me. Uh, I'm going to protect the world from the chaos gods. And I'm going to tell everyone that you're just messing around and not doing anything. And then Yusma says, listen, Sarah, I, I owe this girl a room in my life. Uh, and I'm fulfilling my duties by monitoring everyone here. Uh, so look, there's Mog Manuak. And Magu says, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best two panel of indeed. <laughs> and of course, Sarah's like, what the hell? This is the god of destruction. And Magu says, successor of magic, you tread upon my sacred land. Inscribe your name in the bloke of blood oaths and accept me as your room. Unperturbed by another member of the Holy Knights showing up. And uh, meanwhile, Naputaku is just like, Please, Othello! <laughs> Uh, and Sarah is just kind of grossed out and thinks everything is super bizarre. There's hermit crabs here. There are little chaos gods here. So she reveals her own uh, rankless being, Ninitsi, who can form astral gates and teleport her to and from places. Then she escapes uh, and and says, parting to Izuma, go back to be my tough, cool, big brother, and then vanishes. So... People are like, well, I guess there's more trouble being caused. And Neris is like, I guess people don't believe the reports I've been sending. And Sarah, meanwhile, has to deal with the fact that she has, um, you know, teleported in front of an entire hallway for, full of students who have seen her looking like an, a magical night person. So new character in Magu-chan uh, plays into the, oh, the little sister character kind of thing. Oh, my big brother, I've got to get him to, you know, be, you know, be right. But I think we saw enough parts of her personality that she does not completely fall prey to the stereotypical tropes that make up that kind of character. So it's all right. I saw people in our discord kind of, uh, joking or predicting like Chris is going to hate this character. Cause this is the character archetype that tends to be really annoying and insufferable in this series. But I think you guys have to realize Uneris has taken that crown so hard that I was like, Cool, a character who's not Uneris talking and saying things that isn't Uneris saying things. And I gave it a rousing thumbs up. And I, was, I hope she shows up more often. Because <laughs> every, yeah. every spot she occupies is physically a space Uneris cannot. The more characters that show up in Magusha. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I honestly do think that, like, yeah, she she could be annoying. We have seen characters like this of like, oh, is this is the little sister who's going to just be upset that a character has experienced character development over the course of the series. But there is enough to her beyond that, that it doesn't seem like it's going to get grading anytime soon. Yeah. So. She, she's no uh, Haru Onodera or um, Kirisu's little sister. Yeah, whatever. Me, so. Mifu or Mifu, something like that. All right. Dr. Stone! Sunny and Stone! Hello, world! That's the name of the chapter. Z equals 216. Uh, more rockets have been blowing up. Who knows how long has passed at this point. Eventually, we're going to be introduced to a new couple's ch- children... And it's just, that's just going to be the only way we'll be able to tell how much time has passed. Did they say, uh, I thought for some reason they said three years at some point, but I think that may just be how long it took them to do the one engine. That might have just been last week, too, I'm thinking of. 
I don't know. I know that months have passed in between attempts because we saw calendars flipping over. Yeah. But that's about it. It's pretty nebulous. And apparently, Chrome says, all this trial and error, so many tests, just as many failures over years and years. So that's a while. And again, no one has aged. So, uh, uh, meanwhile, Suica and Chroma are, of course, trying to figure out how to not just have a rocket take off to the moon, but also have a return shuttle that they can get everyone back safely. And uh, Suica's like, we got to learn more and more. And Chrome's like, dang, the path of the science user has been this way ever since we met Senku. The more we learn, the more we realize how little we really know. And he plants the flag of the king of science on the tower that presumably it was already on top of whatever. (laughs) Eventually, a rocket takes off that successfully launches a satellite into space. Hooray! Uh, And uh, they establish that the first satellite they're launching is just a recon satellite. uh, And from there, they can make a different satellite that will actually allow them to spy on the moon. Chrome and Suikar are still thinking, and Chrome's like, man, I mean, in the stone world, all these countless test launches had to use smaller-scale rockets. Going bigger would have been unthinkable. And Suika says, but the two-way moon rocket we want to make would have to be five times bigger than those other ones, according to size calculations. Ooh. And Chrome seems to have a thought. It's it's just one of those panels where it hones in on his face as he's looking to determine, and it's like, did Chrome think of something? Because we've seen him do that a bunch of times before. More tests get done. Hey, a new satellite. Another satellite gets put up. And they can now take satellite images and stuff. Actually, no, another satellite didn't get launched. But they are using their current recon satellite to just take images of the globe. And they establish, oh, the world has physically changed over the course of thousands of years of, you know, tectonic plates moving and all the stuff left behind by humanity blowing up and then not being there anymore. Like their stuff is like, Oh, there were nuclear sites that exploded and irradiate everything. And now it's diluted. So it's fine. Uh, Australia is bigger now because the coral reefs were allowed to grow without human pollution. The Panama canal got filled in because that was a man-made canal. (laughs) So, uh, more supplies come from Spain, from India. They launch bigger thing, bigger satellite. It gives them a space telescope. And Kahak is immediately like, now I'll use this screen with my powerful vision to spot Y-Man. And they're like, that's not quite how it works. But Senku says, uh, actually, Kahaku doesn't just have really powerful vision. She's also incredibly keenly observant. So she will actually notice something. And she indeed does later on. Uh, Chrome and Suika are still putting their heads together trying to figure things out and now they're like okay we're feeling the deadline because as soon as they spot that Y man they're going to go after him that's like it'll be great that we find him but that's our countdown for actually launching our plan how are we going to do this more time passes I love the panel uh, in the collage of montage of things happening where Kohaku is closely observing the screen while eating a big old lang of meat and then she spots something and just takes the view screen and dashes outside while holding it like she's Dean Ambrose fighting against Bray Wyatt in, in TLC, except it doesn't explode because that was a stupid thing that happened. Uh, I like that they must have assumed this was going to be 
what happened. So they prepared by having a cord long enough for Kohaku to leap out of the mountainside with it to show everybody. Yeah. You're like, you know what? This will reach the wall, but it won't reach the wall if Kohaku doesn't Kohaku. Yeah. Jumps around with it. Let's make make sure sure it's long enough in case she leaps out of the window with this. Uh, So she immediately jumps outside, lands in front of Senku and Zeno, and is like, look at this. There's this one spot that's changing little by little over time. And I don't know exactly what it is, but it looks suspicious. And Zeno says, yeah, I can't identify it, but it's definitely something unnatural on the surface. Something truly elegant. We finally found you. And we get a a big old full page dedicated to just this blurry spot on the screen. And Senku says, why, hello there. Why, man? It's a cool ending to the chapter. And uh, I do appreciate a lot of the things in this chapter as we establish, like, hey, everyone else thinks this is a good thing. But uh, Suika and Chrome are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're running out of time. Uh and it does actually kind of, I think, help to justify the rapid pace the scientific development is being set in terms of plot pacing. We are now established that, yes, this took literally years for them to do, uh, but it still feels like it's going by at breakneck pace because that's just the part of the story that we're in, where it's just like they're, they're just doing this now. Yeah. Uh, it's a cool bit of a chapter. It's just... I don't know. Dr. Stone's end game is both cool and also just not hitting for me. Like it's kind of like a, like very quickly brought up, like we're going to arrive everybody now. Like, Oh, okay. I guess that would have, I guess in my mind, I thought there was going to be a little bit of a longer build up to that, but like, okay, cool. Everybody's back. Yeah. I, uh, appreciate a lot. I, I appreciate this as a standalone chapter. And I do like the stuff with Suika and Chrome. I've liked that since we were first introduced to that concept and just kind of having that be like, okay, that's the thing that I'm really invested in. And we're just kind of like stuck in this point where they don't know what they're going to do. Uh, but how this fits into the big thing of like, oh, this is where Y-Man is. It's like, All right. Okay. It wasn't particularly interesting when they found him. It's like, how did they find him? We looked at him through a screen and Kohaku saw it. Yeah. Okay. Alright, no Mashal this week, unfortunately, so we're going to have to move right along into the Elusive Samurai. Yeah, I can do it, it's fine, it's fine. Elusive Samurai, Chapter 38, Tumult in Shinano, 1335. Uh, So, we were introduced to the three important generals by Yorishige last time, and how they were going to be play a big role in Tokyuki's attempt to take back his home. Uh, and we see that, uh, they have a conversation and Yoroshiga is just me like, my three most trusted generals, this Chojumaru is actually the Lord Sh- Hojo's heir, Tokyuki Hojo. And all three of them just go, oh, <laughs> <That's just laughs> so Yoroshiga is shocked by this. He's like, well, come on. I really wanted to see how surprised come you would be. On. Do it! Do the thing! But all three of them have, like, different reasons for being, like, not so surprised by this. And I do like that right away we're kind of being established, like, okay, these three aren't just going to be the three general guys. We're going to take a little bit of time to actually get to know them as uh, individually as well. 
So the first one is the guy with the hawk, whose name is Yordi now, and he says, look, our loyalty is to you, but if you have taken up the cause of this child, we shall obey. As in, he doesn't really care what's, what's going on. He is laser focused. Uh, the burly guy with the like, uh, oh God, I, the Ofuda going down his from his headband is named Shigenobu. And he just finds this amusing. And he's like, oh, well, sorry for making you pour my, my alcohol before. Because, you know, you were like a manservant in my eyes. And then there's the guy they were getting a chapter focused on, Yukiyasu, who is uh, older than the other two, and he's constantly squinting one of his eyes. And he's very, you know, kind of friendly and and kind of, and clever with him. He says, like, hey, you must remain the apprentice, Chojumaru, until the moment of, of your reveal. So I will treat you as such in the presence of others. Okay? So, you know, he's friendly about it, but he's also like, hey, we've got to be smart about this. So... Tokiyuki is like, hey, these guys, these guys are, I, I, I've got a good impression of them now. Like they've got, they, they are, you know, have a great trusting relationship with Yoshige that's clearly been established over a long time. Uh, then we get a little bit of a reminder as we cut over to the Kakushi that he is an asshole as he's just, just killing a dude and his wife just cause after he has already tortured them for information uh, and after killing this hopeless man and hopeless woman who are unarmed and in a cage, he turns to Ogasawara and says, you have instructed me well. Have my skills improved? And he's like, yes, Lord. <laughs> you have literally been shooting fish in a barrel. Cool. Uh, immediately afterwards, as the, as the Kokushi is like, yeah, gonna go kill those guys. Immediately, Ichikawa says, so how's his archery? Oh my god, he sucks oh, so he's, much. He's, he's real bad, actually. The, I know that shot initially made it look like he was kind of cool. He's really not. So they not. Uh, and we see that he is planning on actually just launching... An invasion to actually subjugate all the Hojo sympathizers in the land. So he's going to bear down on everyone. Uh, and there are three forces of resistance that he's going to be dealing with in three different parts of the region. Uh, we get narration saying that this is going to be the last, largest preliminary skirmish before Tokyuki's uprising in four months. So we're rapidly getting into, uh, up to the point of like, okay, you know, big like confrontations are going to start happening now. Uh, Yoroshige talks to all the elusive warriors together and says that their mission is going to be acting as Denrei, who are messengers who must race from battlefield to battlefield conveying reports because there are these three different locations the battles are going to be taking part in. It's going to be essential for them to all keep in contact with each other, which will require fast messengers who will also be eluding enemy soldiers that are separating them. And of course, Tokiyuki's only, only reaction to this is, I have to avoid capture? That sounds hard. Calm down, boy. <laughs> yeah, this one really amped up the Tokiyuki gets uh, sec suggestively, let's say, excited at the idea of being elusive, too. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so this kid's like 10 now. So if he's going through all this stuff when he is, you know, 
about to reach the height of pre-adolescence. Does that mean that, like, when he gets married later, the only way he's going to be able to sire children is if his wife chases him around for a while first? Like, is that what's is that the is that what we're going to have to do? chase him around with a chainsaw? I should say it's gotta, yeah, it's got to be life-threatening chases. So, Ugh. all right, we're we're trying to conceive, so I'm going to release the hounds, and you have to slather yourself with honey first, <laughs> and at the end we copulate. Uh. Each of the three generals is going to be acting as, you know, the leader in one of these places. Uh, and so Yoroshige says, you're going to visit these three areas. You're going to learn about my right hand men. And the first one that they're going to be uh, dealing with is, uh, as I said before, Yukiyasu. So they go out to uh, Fukashi Fort, which he is in charge of. And Tokiyuki arrives. He is, you know, a messenger. And... This magistrate who meets him, Inukai, says, oh, you must be the one everyone's talking about. And Tokiyuki at first is like, oh, people are talking about me? Cool. Uh, yeah, they say that you excel at escaping the shrine and you dart around the battlefields naked. Hmm. That's a part that normally isn't there. <laughs> so, of course, Tokiyuki is upset about this. And Gemba's like, I mean, that's not too far off. <laughs> um... So uh, Tokiyuki wants to know how the battle is going, and Inukai says, yeah, it's kind of weird because Uno-sama's reinforcements are few in number but ferocious. They'll never let Ogasawara's army near this fort. Uh, and they say, ah, he's a formidable presence. I wonder what he's like. He's a top general in the Sua sect who has performed countless feats of martial prowess. He's even impressive off the battlefield. He's always dignified and composed. The shrine maidens are head over heels for him. He is kind and considerate to all. But the other warriors hinted at something more. They said, you still don't know the half of it. So, at that moment, before they can get any further information, uh, Uno, Yukiyasu, shows up and he addresses uh, Tokiyuki and says, ah! You should inform my lord that the fort shall be fine and will not fall as long as I am here. And everyone's like, oh, he's so cool. Yeah, he's looking at him with his He's polishing his sword. He looks all confident. Yeah. Oh, but at that moment, the gate is breached. And so, of course, Uno has to jump into action and repel Sadamune's forces. And he's like, ah, okay. So the force we repelled before was just a diversion, but I'll deal with it. Tokyo gets worried, but he says, but... Chojumaro Dono. Have you ever known a woman? And Tokiyuki's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> What's happening here? <laughs> and Kojiro says, we're only 10. I mean, you know, someday we'd like to grow up. And it was like, me neither. <laughs> and Kojiro's like, so, uh-huh. Why, why, why are you why? telling this? this? <laughs> and Uno says, I have not known a woman either. And it's not just the things he's saying. It's the fact that he is saying this like it's the coolest thing in the world. As he finishes polishing his sword and you see the, the light glinting off it that he's not just squinting his eye. He's like missing that eye from a battle, no doubt. And but in this moment, all the elusive warriors are just staring at it with the same shocked beady-eyed expression like what the fuck is this guy talking about <laughs> and uno says i'm defenseless to their charms when they speak to me my blood rises in turmoil even in the company of the shrine maids my heart pounds and my body burns why is he telling us this 
and I use that heat in the service of Suamyojin. My blood boils for women, but I pour it into bellicosity backed by muscle. I burn and pour and pour and perfect. Thus I have honed myself for decades when a warrior of Kamakura remains pure until age 30. He becomes a lord of carnage. And all the invaders come through the gate and he like does something and cuts all of them down in one stroke. And all of the elusive warriors go from, why is he telling us this, to, again, he's so cool! This is literally the, while you were engaged in premarital sex, I practiced the blade being brought to life. This dude is literally like, while you were practicing having, while you were having sex, I became a lord of carnage! And then he murders his way through a scene. This reminded me, I listen to a wrestling podcast and they occasionally uh, do reviews of books written by wrestlers or about wrestlers. So they covered Ryback's horrible self-help book and he talks about the benefits of abstaining from masturbation. <laughs> just what I always want to hear Ryback talking about. So he goes, if you just don't do it then you can channel that energy to other stuff and that was <laughs> like dropping cm punk head first into a table <laughs> it makes you good at wrestling <laughs> except not because ryback's shit <laughs> every so often i go back to watch it listen like the cm punk interview with colt cabana where he talks about that story and it's played with the scene he's talking about where he's like like i don't want to fucking work with ryback all right fine i have to work with ryback just for the love of God, don't drop me head first into that table and then it cuts into him doing it. And I know I should laugh. A man was hurt there. But it's it's so funny the way it's staged. Every time. Like, please just don't fucking drop me head first Listen, into this I've, table. I have a history of concussion issues. I'm coming back from one. Don't drop me on my fucking neck. Bog! <laughs> God, he was fucking worthless in the ring. Uh, uh, remember, remember when he tried to pick up Big Show and couldn't? <laughs> He's so much muscles and so little talent with them. No, Tensai, Tensai, he couldn't lift. Oh <laughs> much God, more than, much more embarrassing than Big Show. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, yeah, don't masturbate, kids. It'll make you kill people. Better. <laughs> yeah. Uh interesting chapter. I'll say that it is an interesting chapter. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't really know how to react to it because it's so it's so what it is. So yeah. All right, Black Nick, Clover. I will take over for a little bit as we talk about Black Clover, page three eleven. Make it home alive. So, uh, we we open the chapter Xenon and uh, I wanted to call him you know or Asta. It's you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and him are clashing and. Uh, Xenon is thinking, even at our first encounter, I said something like myself and you. What made us different as he's been slashed to half? And Yuno uh, says, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't become the Wizard King yet, so my plot point isn't done yet. And Xenon uh, thinks about, uh, I want to call him Wrench, Wrenchman. Is, I think that's his name. Who is like, we're going to be rivals one day. Let's see who becomes commander in chief. And the answer is none of them. Because this character uh, 
is dead, and it looks like Xenon's dead too. And uh, suddenly, well, we don't see him completely die, but he yeah, is falling in two halves, Darth Maul style, down a pit. And so... unless a sequel many years in the future comes out that reveals, no, he's alive, and he's gonna appear he in Obi Spider Legs movie. Hey, those those were in the comics first. <laughs> I don't care where they started from. They were always stupid. I'll note that. I'm going on the record. It's my seventh most controversial Star Wars opinion. I'm sure there aren't too many shockers up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Qui-Gon Jinn's best. Uh, everyone sucks but me. <laughs> uh, anyway, Nature uh, uh, Boyer Flair... I actually had to figure out who it was because oh, I was right, like, because he's in a different form. I was yeah. like, who's this character? It's like, it looks like Yuno's defeated Xenon. So Asta's like, you know, that means we've taken out the whole dark triad. And yet, why has the Quilnoff still advancing? Whoever uh -oh. said that the dark triad consisted of three members? Pretty much. They just keep coming. Something isn't right. Uh, and we cut over to. Dorothy Unsworth, I think is her name. I mean, we don't cut to her first, but yes, that is that is who shows up. Yes, that's her. We cut over like they're like, "What's the matter?" Well, I guess technically we cut over to we the Wizard King. The Wizard King first, he's and like, he's like, "Something's something big's coming." Yeah, uh, and then we cut over to Dorothy Unsworth, uh, who I guess lost Dream Magic quite strong. It would be if the devil's power hadn't made my magic capable of infecting intangible concepts. And it's Morris, I believe, uh, the evil doctor. Now he's been infested with uh, Lucifero. And then Lotus, I believe yeah. is his name, has lost an arm. And that may or may not be significant, depending on the things he has been pre-established to do. I presume he uses both hands, but I do not know. This character is still a mystery to me. Uh, He's been around for a long time. It's just that he doesn't show up very often. Yeah, and he falls in that time period where I don't remember very many things about Black Clover. So, uh... I'm like, no, this isn't the light novel guy, but he's not far off in importance than the light novel guy. They're on a very similar spectrum. I believe he showed up at like the no wait. No, that was Mars. Never mind. So, well, maybe Lotus did show up there. too. That, I think he showed up in this whenever, whenever they went into the dungeon. Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. Where so, Asta got his first sword for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly that is where he shows up. I don't remember it, but yeah, I believe it. Anyway, uh, it looks like he's getting his ass handed to him. I guess he was evil, but he's not. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Morris has Lucifero now. So uh, we even see Lucifero being like, you're a more reasonable fellow. Unlike Dante, because he's dead. And fuck him. And Medjicula has been outfoxed. But that devil made for a good lab rat. The second gate will open now. Once it does, I'll be able to emerge. And as long as we have Yami and Vengeance, the gates to the underworld will open. And this is the best seat in the house. So Morris uses his modification magic to fuse two devils together into a horrifying monster. And Lotus says, I really loathe this, 
Ordinarily, I'd be making a break for this, which I presume because that could or could not be a pre-established character trait of this character. He did run away from fights. There you go. But he says, I can't run, cut and run, can't die either. And he's thinking about a bunch of people, presumably a family, which again, may or may not be a pre-established fact about this character. He could have he a gimmick. He say, I'll make it home alive back to my family. But so he... it would be kind of weird if he was thinking about an entirely different family that he wasn't part of. <laughs> he's thinking about the stock family and the photo frame he bought. And he's like, I got to make it <laughs> home to them. He's just kind of crazy. He doesn't actually. <laughs> Which could be a character trait of his. I don't know. It's it's equally possible. I mean, let's be honest. Would a woman like that marry a guy with a mustache like that? <laughs> yeah. You know, that is a good point. Uh, it looks like Lotus is going to be killed. But suddenly we, we zoom in on Yami who twitches and then crash. It's the Black Bulls. Most specifically, it's Vanessa, Gray, uh, Henry, Gauch, and Gordon. I remember them all. I'm very proud of myself. Yay. They're there to hopefully stop uh, the save Yammy and, and stop the, the Quopafa going off. I cannot believe that the guy that is just the fourth devil is just the guy that I was like, why are we focusing on this guy at all earlier? <laughs> That's the random scientist dude. Oh, he's the real evil. We know like so little about him well i think we're going to get the actual fourth sibling that we saw teased before this is sort of like because it is in my mind i was like this does seem like this like the rest of the black bull should do something in this arc that very well could be the final arc of this series so it seems like this is a place for maybe those characters and hopefully zora to show up and do something well, they're allies with the Heart Kingdom. They're going to defeat the ruling class of the Spade Kingdom. And they have control of the throne of the Diamond Kingdom. So <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah, wrapped it all up. We got all the suits. Um, It is kind of an odd thing to know, like, okay, well, the three ones that we started off with have been defeated now, presumably. And while I wasn't completely happy with how some of those fights turned out, those were the ones that we had been given reason to care about. And now it's just kind of like, well, here's another one. And because we've, and now that another character is going to fight them. And I don't know. I feel like there's going to be, have to be a lot more legwork that's going to be done for me to care about if that fourth sibling shows up yeah. because like, yeah, but they haven't, I haven't seen them do anything so far to care about who beats them or how. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Lotus <laughs> Let's set sail for One Piece chapter 1030, echoing the impermanence of all things. A great chapter title of... for a chapter in which a bunch of people are confirmed to not be dead. Yeah, pretty much. Death means nothing. <laughs> so, um, I actually love the way that this set opens. Because Apu is is having a confrontation with X Drake, while the numbers are looming in the background, being all big, and Apu says, "I'm guessing that you're a Navy spy, but that doesn't matter at this point." <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and he essentially just says, "Like, look, do you really want to try and fight Kaido?" I mean, by the time that the battle is over, the winner's going to be a death store, whoever it is, and finishing off is going to be really easily. 
we're not actually aligned with anyone here, so why should we bother fighting each other? And X-Trick says, Ever enough. What makes you think I would trust in you anyway? And Apu says, Let's not get into an argument about who's more trustworthy. <laughs> That's a fucking good point. That is oh, true. No, I'm work for the government, guys. <laughs> like this fucking triple spy that he is at this point. Uh... But Apu is just trying to bring up the point like, look, I'm just telling you something that would I think would benefit, be beneficial to both of us. And you're not going to get another opportunity like this. And also, I have these three big guys who are going to beat you up if you don't say yes. So Apu is like, he saw what happened last week. He's like, this is an opportunity for me to not be the lamest member of the Supernovas. I have to take it. I can't get into a fight. I have to just try to do something different and interesting. And unbelievably, he cleared that incredibly low bar. <laughs> yeah. Like he saw it and he... He he didn't trip over it, and he didn't come close to tripping over it. He took a nice little hop. Yeah, he cleared it. So, I mean, he he got a little bit arrogant, but he did clear it. So. Yes. So, we cut then to uh, Usopp and Nami's group, which uh, has you know Tama and Komachiyo, her her big lion dog mount thing, and they are running away from one of the many fires that are inside the palace. Uh. Usopp suddenly goes, ah, a freakish monster. But it turns out it's, um, it's Kinemon's legs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Kinemon's legs are running around, and uh, because it is his legs, uh, it, they have to talk through his butt. This is established not, not to like be a thing. Tale. Not like fairy tale. Yes. But through his actual butt. This is an established thing. Kinemon has the power of ventriloquism through his farts. So he has to make poo puns while he's talking. Look, yes. it's just the rules, okay? <laughs> that is. It, it, look, when you get into ass ventriloquism, there's a couple rules you have to follow. You got to make a couple shit puns while you do it. Um, also, Kinemon's body is covered in blood. Uh, it's not just like he got separated by law, although that is the reason that his, he was, his legs were able to, you know, move like this. Uh, He's covered in blood, and uh, Usopp goes like, are you all right? And Nami goes, he can't hear you, Usopp. That would be ridiculous. His ears are over there. <laughs> um, but uh, Nami makes a symbol on Kinemon's leg, thigh, uh, and Kinemon's like, ah, that's the crescent moon of the rebellion. I assume you must be a commander too. To a comrade too, rather. Uh, so, uh, he basically explains the situation and Usopp goes off with um, Hamlet, the draft guy, uh, and goes off in order to make a difference uh, because uh, Kinemon's in trouble and uh, Kiku is going to die, basically, if no one does anything. Uh, Kinemon thinks to himself while, he, while his upper body is lying in the rubble after their skirmish with Conjuro, I think... I think I found some of our allies. Uh, I can't believe I'm alive, but you know, all that stuff that with the law, I guess I was able to separate properly. However, at that moment, all of a sudden, he hears a voice crackling over a Mushi, and it's Orochi getting in contact with Kanjiro. And he's like, ah, the voice of the beheaded Orochi. But Kanjiro's already dead. And Kanjiro goes, oh, what do you want? <laughs> he's still alive. Because nobody dies in one piece. <laughs> um, 
he's lying on the ground and uh, he's like, oh, I'm going to die soon. But Orochi says, hey, you've done well. It was a splendid act. Can you hear the audience? How they cheer for you? But alas, how galling, how vexum. Our ancestors await a proper theatrical encore and you must give it to them, Kondro. Depict the burning hatred of the Kurozumi clan. Who is the true victor? The enduring anger of the Kurozumis prowls the halls of this castle, heading deeper and deeper into the depths until the very bottom of it all, you reach our burial crypt. Only you can lay our souls to rest. And as he says all this, Kondro, while still lying on the ground, takes up his brush and paints something. He paints Kazenbo, a giant ghost fire, which starts burning everything it touches and passing through everything it touches while still setting it on fire. So, hey, more fire. This is okay. Uh, and everyone's freaking out about this. We cut around to a whole bunch of stuff as people are like, oh my god, giant ghost fire setting everything on fire while passing through walls. And Momonosuke, meanwhile, is still trying to build up clouds so that he will keep the island afloat uh, and it won't crash down on Wano. And uh, then we just get a quick montage of a bunch of different shots because there's no time to be fighting anymore. People have got to get to safety. But of course, everyone's still got their stuff that they're doing. We see fights that are going on and also CP0 starting to move somewhere. Or maybe they're just standing there. Who knows? So. Uh, and then we get Orochi just, you know, laughing about all this because he's like, I'm going to kill everyone. ha 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 ha. Where the fuck is Fukuroku Jewish? <laughs> and an intense Said fight with Raizu. Yeah, everyone's the much anticipated clash. Um, then we cut to where Yamato is, and some some of the uh, Animal Kingdom pirates are like, Yo, Master Yamato, where are you going? Ah! And he just bowls them over while he's in his fox wolf form, and he's. Is, we get a quick establishment that he had to go into Onigashima through the mouth and then he's got to go through it and then down through the neck in order to reach the weapons much like legends of the hidden temple uh it had to take a very unorthodox route in there but thankfully avoid the shrine of the silver monkey so i i believe that's going to give yamato enough time to to complete everything yes uh which i do think this is kind of a cool thing and maybe we'll see a little bit more of it being done because yamato is racing through uh, onigashima we see him kind of stumble across some bits of the important battles while he's running. Uh, but the only thing that we see him stumble across to, to begin with in this chapter is kids fight with big mom, um, which is going a lot better now that, you know, kid can actually, you know, fight. He's not getting uh, punched in the head. So mom tries to go after kid and we established that they had a quick little conversation just in prior to this where kid was like, Hey, Trafalgar, do you have awakened superpowers? Yes. <laughs> and Allah says, well, I'm still getting used to my Bankai, but <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, and he essentially says, look, if I, if I use it in the middle of a battle, then it basically guarantees that I'll lose. And kid says, well, the same is true for me, but we're not getting anywhere like this. Use your last resort to back me up. And Law's awakened room is called Kroom, which 
I'm sure makes more sense in Japanese. I don't really. I don't know if that's supposed to be his awakened room yet. I assume we'd get a much bigger display if this was them actually using their awakened devil fruits at this point. Hmm. Well, Maybe. It... Well, he could just be an idiot. He could have been like, Kroom! He's like, shit, I meant to say room. Hey, wouldn't the awakened form of room be like, I don't know, house? Shit, that makes more sense. <laughs> I don't know why I went with Kroom first then. Just immediately was like, how do you make a room better? Kroom! 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 <laughs> Uh, he puts anesthesia over his sword and plunges it through Big Mom's back, and it just goes straight through and comes out her chin and says, The penetration does nothing on its own! Okay, uh, good that you are aware of that law. Anyway, uh, he creates shockwaves from within and just shocks her with this taser penetrating sword thing. Which causes Big Mom to start bleeding because, you know, a sword electrocuted her from inside. So, yeah. But this, however, basically just um, annoys her because uh, she's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. But that gives Kid an opening to assign magnetism to Big Mom. And this immediately causes uh, Napoleon to stick to her head. And she's like, what's going on? Did I turn into a magnet? And immediately, everything metal in a pretty good area just immediately starts piling into Big Mom because she's a huge magnet now. Girders and weapons and lots and lots of stuff. And then they're like, okay, let's leave now. And they teleport away. <laughs> yeah, I guess that must be kids then at least because that's him turning something that's not him into a magnet. So I guess that is also laws because he's using it on his sword. It's weird how those are portrayed because it is like it's these are the second and third times we've seen an awakened paramecia fruit. And like the first time was Doflamingos, which was this huge grand thing. So I was like, I just assumed the next times we'd see it would be equally as grand of a scale. And uh, I mean, it's a cool attack, but like if that's the way Big Mom goes down, I'd be pretty bummed. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. That's One Piece, and that is manga for this week, everyone. Yep. Thank you all for joining us. Favorite chapter in MVP? Uh, I think my favorite chapter is going to be Spy Family. Hmm. I think of all the chapters I like this week, it's probably the one I enjoyed the most. I think I am going to go with Undead Unluck. Okay. Because it's just a very complete little chapter hey establish this new character establish the stakes also it's a top battle and there are lots of things to enjoy about the way that it is all just portrayed including just that one final image which i really really like so yes uh my character of the week uh unfortunately or fortunately i guess to say uh is going to have to be star and stripe because it may be the only cool thing she ever does in this series but it was pretty fucking awesome so I'll give credit where it's due. Um, yeah, I think she's the only person who made me go, wow, shit, that's fucking awesome this week. So I think I'll go with her as well. <laughs> if a character, look, if a character making a giant air golem version of themselves and smashing a laser beam sphere into somebody can't make me give them MVP, then, I mean, what are they going to do? So it's just, yeah, 
Let's do that. Yes. Uh, the audience, by the way, uh, picks Spy Family as their series of the week and Fuko from Undead Unluck as their character week. Although Jay Flugel is commenting in the chat that Mission Yozakura Family should be series this week. It was much better. And uh, the chapter this week was like, one sister doesn't know how to use technology. And they have wacky shenanigans throughout it. And the entire time I read the chapter, I was like, I liked it better when Shin did it. <laughs> I showed 21. It was funnier when Shin did it. I don't think that you can do that trope with a character anymore because it was so perfect when Shin did it. It really was. It really was. All right. That is going to do it, everybody, for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you guys for joining us. Uh, you can listen to us live on twitch.tv slash here Wednesdays. Usually we get started around 7.30 Eastern time. But to stay updated on exactly when we go live, follow your hosts on Twitter at RelloT, at NickFTime, and the official podcast account at WMRPodcast. You can also check us out on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com, on youtube.com slash weeklymagarecap, on iTunes, on Spotify, basically anywhere that podcasts can be listened to, you can find us there. The video versions are on YouTube, audio everywhere else. Uh, we would like to thank everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash weeklymagarecap for giving us the support that allows us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy, uh, such as the monthly other recap. Yes. Uh, there's going to be one hopefully recorded in the next couple of days. So if you wanted to find out which of the non-recap series actually had the best shot of winning MVP and Chapter of the Week this week, you can find out during an episode because I'll let you know week by week which series I thought actually had the, uh, the best chance of standing in there. So mm. stay tuned for that. And uh, beyond that, we want to give thanks to everyone in our Discord server uh, who creates, uh, not create, uh, but uh, we've got uh, a wonderful community there. They do bi-weekly gaming nights. As Chris mentioned before, there are discussions when the chapters come out each week, as well as discussions of the series as we are getting set to do a proper uh, review of it. Uh, so if you haven't checked it already, you should do so. Uh, that is also a good place to find the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of all sorts of statistics associated with our show. It makes our lives a whole lot easier when we know, for example, who you guys voted for each week. And, uh, yeah. Check that out. We're coming up towards the end of the year as well, and there are all sorts of fun, extra award things that uh, get given out in that as well. So be sure to participate in those. Yeah. We also want to give special thanks to Milo Jack Stilitz and Winsdale Cheddar for getting the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, which you can see on the video versions on YouTube. And to Steve Mann, who occasionally does title card artwork for us. You can check out his artwork on uh, Twitter.com slash Steve Mann Art. He's got his own Patreon as well. And generally, you can find him wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the Internet. And with that said, I think that is going to do it, everyone. Yeah, that is going to do it, so... We will catch everybody next time where we talk about, hopefully, Imperial Guard, uh, a series that was described as having Saber Two Tigers in it, and so far has been mind-numbingly boring despite having that premise to it. So uh, we should... It's shocking. Yeah. Like, there's Saber Two t- Tigers in every fucking panel, and it is one of the most un- impossible to read and enjoy series I've ever seen. So you know what I like about uh, a war story that involves saber tooth tigers? Mm-hmm. Discussion of politics and tactics. <laughs> While saber tooth tigers are just in the background of panels every so often. 
All right, that's it. Goodbye, everybody.